Part two, chapter three of Basil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. Basil by Wilkie Collins. Part two, chapter three. Some weeks passed away. Margaret and I resumed our usual employments and amusements. The life at North Villa ran on as smoothly and obscurely as usual, and still I remained ignorant of Mr. Mannion's history and Mr. Mannion's character. He came frequently to the house in the evening, but was generally closeted with Mr. Sherwin, and seldom accepted his employer's constant invitation to him to join the party in the drawing-room. At those rare intervals when we did see him, his appearance and behaviour were exactly the same as on the night when I had met him for the first time. He spoke just as seldom, and resisted just as resolutely and respectfully the many attempts made on my part to lead him into conversation and familiarity. If he had really been trying to excite my interest, he could not have succeeded more effectually. I felt toward him much as a man feels in a labyrinth, when every fresh failure in gaining the centre only produces fresh obstinacy in renewing the effort to arrive at it. From Margaret I gained no sympathy for my newly aroused curiosity. She appeared, much to my surprise, to care little about Mr. Mannion, and always changed the conversation, if it related to him, whenever it depended upon her to continue the topic or not. Mrs. Sherwin's conduct was far from resembling her daughter's, when I spoke to her on the same subject. She always listened intently to what I said, but her answers were invariably brief, confused, and sometimes absolutely incomprehensible. It was only after great difficulty that I induced her to confess her dislike of Mr. Mannion. Whence it proceeded, she could never tell. Did she suspect anything? In answering this question, she always stammered, trembled, and looked away from me. How could she suspect anything? If she did suspect, it would be very wrong without good reason, but she ought not to suspect, and did not, of course. I never obtained any replies from her more intelligible than these. Attributing their confusion to the nervous agitation which more or less affected her when she spoke on any subject, I soon cased making any efforts to induce her to explain herself, and determined to search for the clue to Mr. Mannion's character without seeking assistance from any one accident at length gave me an opportunity of knowing something of his habits and opinions and so far therefore of knowing something about the man himself one night i met him in the hall at north villa about to leave the house at the same time that i was after a business consultation in private with mr sherwin we went out together the sky was unusually black the night atmosphere unusually oppressive and still the roll of distant thunder sounded faint and dreary all about us the sheet-lightning flashing quick and low in the horizon made the dark firmament look like a thick veil rising and falling incessantly over a heaven of dazzling light behind it such few foot-passengers as passed us passed running for heavy warning drops were falling already from the sky we quickened our pace but before we had walked more than two hundred yards the rain came down furious and drenching and the thunder began to peal fearfully right over our heads my house is close by said my companion just as quietly and deliberately as usual pray step in sir until the storm is over i followed him down a by-street he opened a door with his own key and the next instant i was sheltered under mr mannion's roof 
he led me at once into a room on the ground floor the fire was blazing in the grate an armchair with a reading easel attached was placed by it the lamp was ready lit the tea-things were placed on the table the dark thick curtains were drawn close over the window and as if to complete the picture of comfort before me a large black cat lay on the rug basking luxuriously in the heat of the fire while mr mannion went out to give some directions as he said to his servant i had an opportunity of examining the apartment more in detail to study the appearance of a man's dwelling-room is very often nearly equivalent to studying his own character the personal contrast between mr sherwin and his clerk was remarkable enough but the contrast between the dimensions and furnishings of the rooms they lived in was to the full as extraordinary the apartment i now surveyed was less than half the size of the sitting-room at north villa the paper on the walls was of a dark red the curtains were of the same colour the carpet was brown and if it bore any pattern that pattern was too quiet and unpretending to be visible by candlelight one wall was entirely occupied by rows of dark mahogany shelves completely filled with books most of them cheap editions of the classical works of ancient and modern literature the opposite wall was thickly hung with engravings in maplewood frames from the works of modern painters english and french all the minor articles of furniture were of the plainest and neatest order even the white china teapot and teacup on the table had neither pattern nor colouring of any kind what a contrast was this room to the drawing-room at north villa on his return mr mannion found me looking at his tea equipage i am afraid sir i must confess myself an epicure and a prodigal in two things he said an epicure in tea and a prodigal at least for a person in my situation in books however i receive a liberal salary and can satisfy my tastes such as they are and save money too what can i offer you sir seeing the preparations on the table i asked for tea while he was speaking to me there was one peculiarity about him that i observed almost all men when they stand on their own hearths in their own homes instinctively alter more or less from their out-of-door manner the stiffest people expand the coldest thaw a little by their own firesides it was not so with mr mannion he was exactly the same man at his own house that he was at mr sherwin's there was no need for him to have told me that he was an epicure in tea the manner in which he made it would have betrayed that to anybody he put in nearly treble the quantity which would generally be considered sufficient for two persons and almost immediately after he had filled the teapot with boiling water began to pour from it into the cups thus preserving all the aroma and delicacy of flavour in the herb without the alloy of any of the coarser part of its strength when we had finished our first cups there was no pouring of dregs into a basin or of fresh water on the leaves a middle-aged female servant neat and quiet came up and took away the tray bringing it to us again with the teapot and teacups clean and empty to receive a fresh infusion from fresh leaves these were trifles to notice but i thought of other tradesmen's clerks who were drinking their gin and water jovially at home or at a tavern and found mr mannion a more exasperating mystery to me than ever the conversation between us turned at first on trivial subjects and was but ill-sustained on my part there were peculiarities in my present position which made me thoughtful once our talk keys all together and just at that moment the storm began to rise to its height hail mingled with the rain and rattled heavily against the window the thunder bursting louder and louder with each successive peal seemed to shake the house to its foundations 
as i listened to the fearful crushing and roaring that seemed to fill the whole measureless void of upper air and then looked round on the calm dead calm face of the man beside me without one human emotion of any kind even faintly pictured on it i felt strange unutterable sensations creeping over me our silence grew oppressive and sinister i began to wish i hardly knew why for some third person in the room for somebody else to look at and to speak to he was the first to resume the conversation i should have imagined it impossible for any man in the midst of such thunder as now raged above our heads to think or talk of anything but the storm and yet when he spoke it was merely on a subject connected with his introduction to me at north villa his attention seemed as far from being attracted or impressed by the mighty elemental tumult without as if the tranquillity of the night were uninvaded by the slightest murmur of sound may i inquire sir he began whether i am right in apprehending that my conduct towards you since we first met at mr sherwin's house may have appeared strange and even discourteous in your eyes in what respect mr mannion i asked a little startled by the abruptness of the question i am perfectly sensible sir that you have kindly set me the example on many occasions in trying to better our acquaintance when such advances are made by one in your station to one in mine they ought to be immediately and gratefully responded to why did he pause was he about to tell me he had discovered that my advances sprang from curiosity to know more about him than he was willing to reveal i waited for him to proceed i have only failed he continued in the courtesy and gratitude you had a right to expect from me because knowing how you were situated with mr sherwin's daughter i thought any intrusion on my part while you were with the young lady might not be so acceptable as you sir in your kindness were willing to lead me to believe let me assure you i answered relieved to find myself unsuspected and really impressed by his delicacy let me assure you that i fully appreciate the consideration you have shown just as the last words passed my lips a thunder pealed awfully over the house i said no more the sound silenced me as my explanation has satisfied you sir he went on his clear and deliberate utterance rising discordantly audible above the long retiring roll of the last burst of thunder may i feel justified in speaking on the subject of your present position in my employer's house with some freedom i mean if i may say so without offence with the freedom of a friend i begged he would use all the freedom he wished feeling really desirous that he should do so apart from any purpose of leading him to talk unreservedly on the chance of hearing him talk of himself the profound respect of manner and phrase which he had hitherto testified observed by a man of his age to a man of mine made me feel ill at ease he was most probably my equal in acquirements he had the manners and tastes of a gentleman and might have the birth too for aught i knew to the contrary the difference between us was only in our worldly positions i had not not enough of my father's pride of case to think that this difference alone made it right that a man whose years nearly doubled mine whose knowledge perhaps surpassed mine should speak to me as mr mannion had spoken up to this time i may tell you then he resumed that while i am anxious to commit no untimely intrusion on your hours at north villa i am at the same time desirous of being something more than merely inoffensive towards you i should wish to be positively useful as far as i can 
in my opinion mr sherwin has held you to rather a hard engagement he is trying your discretion a little too severely i think at your years and in your situation feeling thus it is my sincere wish to render what connection and influence i have with the family useful in making the probation you have still to pass through as easy as possible i have more means of doing this sir than you might at first imagine his offer took me a little by surprise i felt with a sort of shame that candour and warmth of feeling were what i had not expected of him my attention insensibly wandered away from the storm to attach itself more and more closely to him as he went on i am perfectly sensible he resumed that such a proposition as i now make to you proceeding from one little better than a stranger may cause surprise and even suspicion at first i can only explain it by asking you to remember that i have known the young lady since childhood and that having assisted in forming her mind and developing her character i feel towards her almost as a second father and am therefore naturally interested in the gentleman who has chosen her for a wife was there a tremor at last in the changeless voice as he spoke i thought so and looked anxiously to catch the answering gleam of expression which might now for the first time be softening his iron features animating the blank stillness of his countenance if any such expression had been visible i was too late to detect it just as i looked at him he stooped down to poke the fire when he turned towards me again his face was the same impenetrable face his eyes the same hard steady inexpressive eye as before besides he continued a man must have some object in life for his sympathies to be employed on i have neither wife nor child and no near relations to think of i have nothing but my routine of business in the day and my books here by my lonely fireside at night our life is not much but it was made for a little more than this my former pupil at north villa is my pupil no longer i can't help feeling that it would be an object in existence for me to occupy myself with her happiness and yours to have two young people in the heyday of youth and first love looking towards me occasionally for the promotion of some of their pleasures no matter how trifling all this will seem odd and incomprehensible to you if you were of my age sir and in my position you would understand it was it possible that he could speak thus without his voice faltering or his eye softening in the slightest degree yes i looked at him and listened to him intently but here was not the faintest change in his face or his tones there was nothing to show outwardly whether he felt what he said or whether he did not his words had painted such a picture of forlornness on my mind that i had mechanically half raised my hand to take his while he was addressing me but the sight of him when he keased checked the impulse almost as soon as it was formed he did not appear to have noticed either my involuntary gesture or its immediate repression and went on speaking i have said perhaps more than i ought he resumed if i have not succeeded in making you understand my explanation as i could wish we will change the subject and not return to it again until you have known me for a much longer time on no account change the subject mr mannion i said unwilling to let it be implied that i would not put trust in him i am deeply sensible of the kindness of your offer and the interest you take in margaret and me we shall both i am sure accept your good offices i stopped the storm had decreased a little in violence but my attention was now struck by the wind which had risen as the thunder and rain had partially lulled 
how drearily it was moaning down the street it seemed at that moment to be wailing over me to be wailing over him to be wailing over all mortal things the strange sensations i then felt moved me to listen in silence but i checked them and spoke again if i have not answered you as i should i continued you must attribute it partly to the storm which i confess rather discomposes my ideas and partly to a little surprise a very foolish surprise i own that you should still be able to feel so strong a sympathy with interests which are generally only considered of importance to the young it is only in their sympathies that men of my years can and do live their youth over again he said you may be surprised to hear a tradesman's clerk talk in this manner but i was not always what i am now i have gathered knowledge and suffered in the gathering i have grown old before my time my forty years are like the fifty of other men my heart beat quicker was he unasked about to disclose the mystery which evidently hung over his early life no he dropped the subject at once when he continued i longed to ask him to resume it but could not i feared the same repulse which mr Shervin had received and remained silent what i was he proceeded matters little the question is what can i do for you any aid i can give may be poor enough but it may be of some use notwithstanding for instance the other day if i mistake not you were a little hurt at mr sherwin's taking his daughter to a party to which the family had been invited this was very natural you could not be there to watch over her in your real character without disclosing a secret which must be kept safe and you could not know what young men she might meet who would imagine her to be miss sherwin still and would regulate their conduct accordingly now i think i might be of use here i have some influence perhaps in strict truth i ought to say great influence with my employer and if you wish it i would use that influence to back yours in inducing him to forego for the future any intention of taking his daughter into society except when you desire it again i think i am not wrong in assuming that you infinitely prefer the company of mrs sherwin to that of mr sherwin during your interviews with the young lady how he had found that out at any rate he was right and i told him so candidly the preference is on many accounts a very natural one he said but if you suffered it to appear to mr sherwin it might for obvious reasons produce a most unfavourable effect i might interfere in the matter however without suspicion i should have many opportunities of keeping him away from the room in the evening which i could use if you wished it and more than that if you wanted longer and more frequent communication with north villa than you now enjoy i might be able to effect this also i do not mention what i could do in these and in other matters in any disparagement sir of the influence which you have with mr sherwin in your own right but because i know that in what concerns your intercourse with his daughter my employer has asked and will ask my advice from the habit of doing so in other things i have hitherto declined giving him this advice in your affairs but i will give it and in your favour and the young ladies if you and she choose i thanked him but not in such warm terms as i should have employed if i had seen even the faintest smile on his face or had heard any change in his steady deliberate tones as he spoke while his words attracted his immovable looks repelled me in spite of myself 
i must again beg you he proceeded to remember what i have already said in your estimate of the motives of my offer if i still appear to be interfering officiously in your affairs you have only to think that i have presumed impertinently on the freedom you have allowed me and to treat me no longer on the terms of to-night i shall not complain of your conduct and shall try hard not to consider you unjust to me if you do such an appeal as this was not to be resisted i answered him at once and unreservedly what right had i to draw better inferences from a man's face voice and manner merely because they impressed me as out of the common did i know how much share the influence of natural infirmity or the outward traces of unknown sorrow and suffering might have had in producing the external peculiarities which had struck me he would have every right to upbraid me as unjust and that in the strongest terms unless i spoke out fairly in reply i am quite incapable mr mannion i said of viewing your offer with any other than grateful feelings you will find i shall prove this by employing your good offices for margaret and myself in perfect faith and sooner perhaps than you may imagine he bowed and said a few cordial words which i heard but imperfectly for as i addressed him a blast of wind fiercer than usual rushed down the street shaking the window-shutter violently as it passed and dying away in a low melancholy dirging swell like a spirit cry of lamentation and despair when he spoke again after momentary silence it was to make some change in the conversation he talked of margaret dwelling in terms of high praise rather on her moral than on her personal qualities he spoke of mr sherwin referring to solid and attractive points in his character which i had not detected what he said of mrs sherwin appeared to be equally dictated by compassion and respect he even hinted at her coolness towards himself considerately attributing it to the involuntary caprice of settled nervousness and ill-health his language in touching on these subjects was just as unaffected just as devoid of any peculiarities as i had hitherto found it when occupied by other topics it was growing late the thunder still rumbled at long intervals with a dull distant sound and the wind showed no symptoms of subsiding but the pattering of the rain against the window ceased to be audible there was little excuse for staying longer and i wished to find none i had acquired quite knowledge enough of mr mannion to assure me that any attempt on my part at extracting from him in spite of his reserve the secrets which might be connected with his early life would prove perfectly fruitless if i must judge him at all i must judge him by the experience of the present and not by the history of the past i had heard good and good only of him from the shrewd master who knew him best and had tried him longest he had shown the greatest delicacy towards my feelings and the strongest desire to do me service it would be a mean return for those acts of courtesy to let curiosity tempt me to pry into his private affairs i rose to go he made no effort to detain me but after unbarring the shutter and looking out of the window simply remarked that the rain had almost entirely ceased and that my umbrella would be quite sufficient protection against all that remained he followed me into the passage to light me out as i turned round upon his doorstep to thank him for his hospitality and to bid him good-night the thought came across me that my manner must have appeared cold and repelling to him especially when he was offering his services to my acceptance if i had really produced this impression he was my inferior in station and it would be cruel to leave it i tried to set myself right at parting let me assure you again i said that it will not be my fault if margaret and i do not thankfully employ your good offices as the good offices of a well-wisher and a friend 
the lightning was still in the sky though it only appeared at long intervals strangely enough at the moment when i addressed him a flash came and seemed to pass right over his face it gave such a hideously livid hue such a spectral look of ghastliness and distortion to his features that he absolutely seemed to be glaring and grinning on me like a fiend in the one instant of its duration for the moment it required all my knowledge of the settled coolness of his countenance to convince me that my eyes must have been only dazzled by an optical illusion produced by the lightning when the darkness had come again i bade him good-night first mechanically repeating what i had just said almost in the same words i walked home thoughtfully that night had given me much matter to think of End of part two, chapter three.